welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Welcome to episode six. This episode features such an inspiring human. Kelvin Eaton is a scholar, cookbook author, content creator, and activist. He's the publisher of the Gluten-Free Chef blog, as well as the founder of the nonprofit 540 West Main, which is rooted in social justice and anti-racism. I first met Calvin a few years ago when he interviewed me for his blog. And while we've kept in contact, this is actually the first time we've spoken in person in years. But we jump right in. Calvin shares his personal journey with his body and how he's learned to honor his body in radical grace and kindness, as he says. He talks about the ways he's had to decondition himself around body image and food, and he shares tools that have helped him on his journey. He also talks about his autoimmune condition and how he uses food to help heal and support his well-being. And we talk about his new cookbook, Just Desserts, which I cannot wait to see. Sounds so delicious. There is so much to take away from this episode. You know, cultural conditioning and systems of oppression not only try to separate us from our own bodies, but they also try to separate us from each other. But the reality is that we are all so interconnected. For us to find sovereignty as individuals, there needs to be sovereignty for all. Okay, my friends, let's dive in. Hi, Calvin. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so good to talk to you again. I was trying to remember the last time we spoke. Do you remember when that was? Oh my God, I think it was probably 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my God. Somewhere around there. That was a long time ago. Uh, That's like a time warp for me. (laughs) Yes, quite a bit has happened, I'm sure, in your life and my life in what, seven, eight years. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so much has happened. Well, let's dive in. I'm going to start by asking you the first question I ask all of my guests, and that is, what is your cultural upbringing and how has it influenced your relationship to food? And I realize this is a big question, so that's okay. (laughs) That's a big question, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because I'm currently working on a book, a cookbook, my first, well, not actually my second cookbook, but it's a really huge production and In the book, I give quite a bit of like, you know, narrative and memoir-like facets of my life. And with this question, I'm thinking of a section where I talk a little bit about how growing up, you know, I come from a pretty big extended family. I'm the oldest of three. And a lot of our like deep conversations and conversations revolved around the kitchen and you end Mm -hmm. up in the kitchen and Everyone is like venting or talking about whatever in the kitchen. And so, you know, food was a big part of my upbringing. My parents, my mother, were very hospitality-driven people. Mm. So we were typically the household that would have the summer barbecue or, you know, whatever event. We've had family reunions at my parents' home. So growing up, you know, I think that food has always been a central part of my life and the kitchen and 
having dinner around the island in the kitchen was a big piece. I think every kitchen we've had, there has been like an island in the middle mm-hmm. of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that like many people, food is a big part of my life. It has been. And with that, right, I'm someone who has lived in a fat body. And when I say a fat body, I'm talking about just using fat as a neutral mm-hmm. descriptor of bodies, right? Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be any morality or anything tied to that. And I've been different sizes living in my body. There's been periods where I've been smaller, where my body size has been a lot smaller and a lot mm-hmm. more straight size than it is currently. And I also remember my mother is someone who has had a vacillating weight as well in different parts of her life, subscribe to a diet or, you know, losing weight, right? So I come from a family of big, big people, big-sized people. But with that, my parents never made me or my siblings feel like we were lesser than for that. Mm. And in terms of food, there was never this situation where we had restrictions placed on us. I remember we ate and were really encouraged to try different types of food. Yeah. For sure. You know, I think that it's so interesting because we can't talk about food unless we talk about our bodies, right? And Mm -hmm. how that relationship, I think for all of us, can be a complicated one. And I appreciate you sharing that. Where are you at now with that? How do you feel in your body? In this moment, well, you know, I think listeners should know that I'm someone who's lived with a you know disability and disabling condition. And so I'm tuned in a lot to how I'm feeling, like mm. physically, like am I in pain? Am I feeling ache? Is my body fatigued? That happens quite frequently. I think I've been on a journey over the last couple of years and really following a lot of anti-fat bias. Mm-hmm. Virginia Soul Smith is one of them. Oh, yes, she's a friend. We love Virginia and thinking about how I can feel more comfortable in my body, regardless of the size. Yes. I feel like I probably around when the pandemic happened and, you know, we were all home a lot. And I recognize that even before the pandemic, I was avoiding mirrors. Mm. I was avoiding looking at myself fully looking, like looking at my face, of course, yeah. but like looking at my body in a mirror, full, a full mirror. And so when I noticed that internally, I really have been challenging myself to love my body in its fullness. I know that regardless of my size, my body is worthy and valid. And so yeah. I get to say those affirmations to myself every day. Yeah, And my body has lifted and gotten me through so much, Mm. right? And it's been moments when I didn't feel like I had the energy or the capacity to keep living. Sometimes it felt that way. And so what I'm really working on and following a lot of content creators like Aubrey Gordon of Your Fat Friend and really thinking about how do I unlearn and continue the practice of gratitude of honoring my body and telling myself that I am worthy and my body is worthy regardless of what size it is. Absolutely. And that's difficult because we live in a culture, right, where that's not the messaging that we're getting in many ways. 
No, it's not. We are conditioned in so many ways. And I'm a white woman in a thin body. And while I've had such a complicated relationship with my body, which I've shared in my first episode, that affords me a level of privilege that is fundamental to how I see the world, which I'm unlearning because I guess we all need to cut back this level of conditioning to gain sovereignty and freedom because really it comes down to sovereignty, right? Like sovereignty is bodies. Sovereignty is eaters. Sovereignty, no matter what skin color, no matter what size we are, because all of these layers of conditioning try to control how we feel. So we're jumping in super fast here. (laughs) Yeah, we're diving right in. We're diving right in. But this leads me to if you are willing to share more about your disability, because you mentioned that. And I'm curious to see how your relationship to food has influenced that or not. Yeah. So I live with a condition, a couple conditions, fibromyalgia being one of them. So it is a chronic pain condition. And the way that my brain, really my central nervous system processes stimuli and movement and pain is sort of overblown. So I often Mm. feel, you know, doing mundane or sort of like activities of daily living, like even just going for like a brisk walk or even a very slow walk, depending on the day, can feel like I've maybe ran a marathon. And there's something that's not right with how my brain is processing pain. And then related to that is chronic fatigue syndrome. And then for many years, I've lived gluten-free as well because I also have irritable bowel syndrome. So I think in terms of how my relationship with food affects or influences my disability, when I started to deal with these symptoms over 10 years ago and an autoimmune and is it autoimmune? Why am I feeling so fatigued, having mm-hmm. so much physical pain? Of course, I did start to do a lot of research and very, you know, layperson research around the impact of food in, in the gut the impact and how food does have an impact on our bodies and how we feel. And so, especially around gluten and wheat, I noticed that when I would stop eating it, I would feel Mm -hmm. different internal gastro symptoms would dissipate compared to when I was eating wheat and gluten. So for me, having a diet free from gluten has really been about maintaining just a semblance of gut health. For many years, I just sort of lived and it was prescribed that you should live as if you do have celiac disease. Yeah. And it turns out I don't have celiac disease, but irritable bowel is another gastrointestinal type of condition that really does benefit from a gluten-free diet. And at this point, I've been gluten-free for over a decade. So I don't have any intention of going back to not being gluten-free. But I think other than that as well, when I started to have more of a connection and understanding of the role that food does have on our bodies, I really wanted to make sure that the way that I was doing it was really thinking about whole real food, Mm -hmm. watching how much I'm eating and consuming processed foods. And of course, there are times when just because of life and living life, you're more balanced than others. But I've also learned that that's okay. Yeah. That there doesn't have to be this 
fastidious on this because sometimes that can feel very stressful and you're like yeah. traveling or you're doing something else or you're yeah. out of your normal routine. And so you grab something convenient and that's okay. I know for me, part of my work and part of my scholarship has been learning a lot about like being vegan and a plant-based diet. And so there have been periods where I've been more of a strict vegan, if you will, but also that time of my life was also a time period that I remember where I was also really focused on the scale and my weight and losing mm. weight. And I recognized that I was falling into a pattern of disordered eating, Yeah, being so focused on, I have to make sure that this doesn't have any animal byproduct. How was this consumed? And it became an obsession. Yeah. And so... Because I didn't like how that was making me feel emotionally and mentally. Yes. I now say that I like to not prescribe to a vegan label, but say that I, as much as possible, you know, eat plant-based. Yeah. But I think that, again, for me, it's really important that I'm also part of my health is equally physical. So what you're doing, what you're consuming how you feel mentally, how you feel emotionally. And it's more important for me to make sure that I'm emotionally and mentally well. Yeah. And if that means that I need to get a grab and go something, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. As opposed to obsessing that I didn't meal plan on this day and meal prep. And yeah. I can't eat the quinoa that I bought, you know. You know, it does become a source of stress, right? If we let it, mm-hmm. we get too dogmatic about these things, it does become a source of restriction as opposed to something that actually supports our well-being. So there's this fine line of really tuning in and knowing what feels good and also being flexible and letting things happen and letting go and letting ourselves change. I think that, you know, we live in a very binary culture and we want to be this or that. And this is good and that's bad. And really, it's a spectrum and it's so Mm -hmm. individual. It's so individual. So what works for you won't work for somebody else. What works for me probably won't work for somebody else. But we're not ever taught that, right? We're not, again, it kind of goes back to this idea of sovereignty. We're not really taught that we are so unique. We're so unique and special in that uniqueness. Yeah, and I'm doing a lot of reading about intuitive eating, right? And that this idea that we play like, you know, when, when I was in a period of like following these strict diets, I began to obsess more about if I was cheating or not, right? Mm. That idea of you're cheating. Like following the rules. You know, like I want a little bowl of ice cream. And yeah. then for days you deprive yourself of the ice cream because it's not on the plan or you eat ice cream on the weekend. And then what ends up happening for me is that then you binge. You're yeah. restricting yourself for so long that that it becomes an obsession. And then you go get a carton of ice cream as opposed yes. to just, if you hadn't had that two scoops yeah. a week ago. So I think falling in and out of those patterns for me felt more unhealthy than the idea of me having a bowl of, you know, sorbet or ice cream or whatever yeah. it was, you know. Yeah. And it's the mental load as well that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You also talked about the things you do, you mentioned affirmations, the things you do to feel worthy in your body. What are some of those things that you do? Are there any other things that you do to feel that for yourself? Yeah, well, I think that there's that. I think that navigating being disabled and 
the vacillating nature of a body that may not always be doing what I wanted to do at any given time. Mm. I really learned that the practice of grace, of radical grace and kindness to myself. And, you know, there have been moments when I didn't feel as competent and able to do that. I saw a therapist for several years Mm -hmm. and would have conversations with my therapist on how do I change some of these behaviors and mental things that I was telling myself about my body. But then also really surrounding myself with a community of like-minded people is so helpful. Mm. Listening to podcasts and reading books from people that really help me and help all of us to execute these practices and remind us that it's okay, that Mm -hmm. being kind to yourself is a revolutionary act and that we all should be doing that and how we have the sovereignty to say that the negative self-talk is sometimes a part of it, but we don't have to listen to that negative talk. That's just a voice. That's another voice. That's not our real voice. Yes. And so really centering myself on those messages and those subscriptions is really helpful for me. And I've also learned how to be more of an advocate for myself when I am engaging in healthcare systems and talking to doctors and sharing mm. some of these messages with them. Because I sometimes feel like when I get in front of a doctor, all of my scholarship and like oh, yeah. all of the affirmations yes. go out the window and I'm like a little like five-year-old child <laughs> in front of this person. A hundred percent. Giving them more power yeah, over you than they should. And really honoring the edict that no one knows more about my body than I do. Exactly. Even the healthcare professionals. Yes. And I love how you mentioned doing this in community. I think that's so powerful. Finding a community of people that supports these messages because when we have to do it alone, I mean, even when I had to go gluten-free over a decade ago as well, I felt so alone. At that time, it was not, as you know as well, it was not as accessible as it is today. And because it was linked to my job and what I do, I felt very isolated in this journey. And I think this is one of the benefits of social media and podcasts is that you can really find your people, the people that believe, you know, at least for you and I, it sounds like we share this belief that we are in charge of our bodies. And that's it. Absolutely. Hi there. I just wanted to pop in really quickly and let you know that an easy way that you can support this work is to sign up for the Mind, Body, Spirit Food newsletter. In the weekly newsletter, you'll get brand new recipes each week, along with my thoughts, ideas, and practical tips for how to bring more ease and joy and freedom into the kitchen. The newsletter is free, although if you become a paid subscriber for just a couple bucks a month, you'll have access to the full recipe archive, along with Q&As, weekly threads, and other fun perks. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You can share the newsletter with your friends or even give a gift subscription. I've popped a link into the show notes where you can sign up. Thank you all for listening. And now back to the show. We've jumped so fast and so far that I would love to back up a little bit Can you share a little bit about your background? You mentioned you're writing a new cookbook, which we will definitely get to. So you're in the food world. Can you share kind of Mm -hmm. how you got into the food world as well as some of the other things you do? Because some of the other things you do are really interesting. Yeah. So my entrepreneurship career is very varied, but it all makes sense to me, of course. You know, my background 
is I went to RIT for hospitality management and business management around hospitality and took several food classes in undergraduate, and then I got my master's degree in administration, systems administration, if you will. <laughs> and it really was not my path back then to be an entrepreneur. I come from a very entrepreneurial family. My father worked for himself for many years before I was born. And my mother, too, has had a career as an entrepreneur. But I think I just sort of subscribe to the idea that you go to school and you'll work for some company or some other organization. Yeah. And it really wasn't until my um, experience dealing with a sudden onset autoimmune condition that really changed how I saw my career and what I felt that I needed to do for yeah. myself. I think that, as you know, many of our systems and institutions, even though they may preach often being accessible, that they're not for people who need a different work schedule, who can't work nine to five, who can't be remote. I think before the pandemic, there was just a huge barrier of entry into yes. jobs that would say, you have to come in person every day. You have to be in the office every day. And so because of that, when I was dealing with this illness and navigating how to recraft a life or reinvent, reimagine my life, I said, I'm going to have to figure out how to sort of cobble together a freelance career. And I knew that my body wasn't always up to doing what I wanted it to do, but my mind is really sharp and great yeah. and I have lots of intellect and genius. And so I said, well, let me use my words. Let me use my mind to work for me, if you will. And so I started my blog, the Gluten-Free Chef blog, back in 2012. And a big part of that was because I knew at the time blogging was very earlier. To, you know, yeah. I think now some of we're so used to it. But I knew that people made some kind of money on the internet, and I wasn't <laughs> quite sure how that was going to happen. But the first step was buying this domain name, the glutenfreechefblog.com. And really the journey from there has really been organic. It has felt very organic, writing and sharing my own experiences with food and with my body and navigating the world of gluten-free. Really have like an open diary to the whole world. Mm -hmm. And then that led me to meeting different other content creators like yourself, mm -hmm. you know, a few years later exploring social media, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and then eventually getting paid gigs to be a writer for publications online. And all of that really was the beginning of my career as a social entrepreneur and content creator. And that eventually led to me starting a nonprofit, what became a nonprofit, separate from the Gluten Free Chef, called 540 West Main. And my work with 540 Westman is really centered around teaching people and creating digital content and classes that help people to understand the continued impact and legacy of chattel slavery on our mm -hmm. country and on our systems mm -hmm. and teaching people about structural racism and the isms, so sexism, misogyny, patriarchy, and how that's yeah. harmful to us and how to be anti-racist, and what does anti-racism mean, and what does that look like. And to be very honest, as I think about it, even just like retelling the story here for your listeners, and also in my cookbook, my upcoming cookbook, all of these things are intersectional. And I mm. think that the more that I do this work, I think about how interconnected. So when you're talking about a mind-body connection, 
a connection to the earth, a connection to thinking about environmental injustice. Yeah. There was just this huge toxic spill in Ohio about a week ago. We can't talk about racism and its legacy without also talking about ableism mm. and mm. fat phobia and sexism and, you know, all of these things that are interconnected. So, you know, food justice and why some people have more access to healthy food than other people, yeah. why some people have more corner stores in their neighborhood than other communities, why, you know, some people are able to grow food on their land and some people's land is too toxic yeah. to grow food on. All of these things are interconnected to these systems of oppression that we all live under. And it's really important that we understand that interconnectedness and that we all are interconnected yes. in one way or another, whether we know it or not. And so for me, these companies, right, these organizations are really the visual manifestations of of this interconnected life that I've created for myself. That is so beautifully said. And it makes so much sense because it's interesting on paper, you know, it looks like you have two separate businesses, the Gluten-Free Chef blog and 40 West Main. And yet, of course, they're interconnected because they stem from you and you are a human right. with dynamic and varying properties, <laughs> as we all do. But I love that. And the work you do is so important. And I'm so grateful for it. Thank you. Can you share a little bit more about your approach to cooking? I would say my approach is very intuitive. Mm -hmm. So for an example, on Monday, I had a shift in my schedule and I went and saw a friend and her and their child, and we had a little a beautiful walk. We had a pretty warm, warm weather, you know, surprisingly for February, the northeast part of yeah. work, you know, the country where I live. And on the way back from the walk, I said, you know, I'm really in the mood for a chili. I want some chili. And I said, I want a white chili. This idea just popped in my head as I was like walking with her. And she said, Oh, well, I said, I, I hate that. I don't want to go to the store. I think I have everything that I need for this one pot chili. And I just need some white beans. And she said, oh, well, don't go to the store. I have a can of white beans. We have tons of beans. <laughs> and she gave me the beans. And then I went, we got back to her home. And I went home and I had ground turkey in my freezer. I had an onion. I had garlic. I had a little bit of like cream cheese. Mm. And I just whipped up this little quick one pot white chili. I wrote down all the, I had like chives, all the things. Oh, yeah. I didn't want it to be tomato-based. I wanted yeah. it to be a non-tomato-based chili. I had some cream corn. Mm -hmm. And it came together in like less than 30 minutes, I tell you. You know, I went shopping probably about a month ago. I had a box of um, gluten-free Texas toast-style bread in my freezer. Oh, yum. Because I was thinking I was going to make cornbread with the chili, but then my body was saying the cornbread will just be one thing too much to yeah. make a from-scratch gluten-free cornbread, which I do have a recipe for. And I thought, 
okay, I'll just skip the cornbread and use this Texas toast. And I tell that story because it's indicative of my style. This intuitive eating where I buy things, usually I buy in higher quantities and I freeze things because I'm not always up to cooking. But when Mm -hmm. I am, I want it to be simple. I want it to be mostly, you know, whole ingredients. But of course, you have the convenience things that help you make the meal complete. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I don't want to, I mean, yeah, we could bake a bread from scratch. (laughs) No. And make Texas toast. But who has, you know, who has the energy for that on a on a Monday night at like six thirty at night, right? Yeah. What you're saying is so beautiful, too, because we were talking earlier about when we get stuck in these certain ways of eating, if we're going to prescribe to, and this is not to denounce anybody who, you know, I'm gluten-free, obviously, and anybody who prescribes to these certain eating habits. But when you get stuck into those buckets, it stifles our creativity. And what I love about this idea of cooking and eating through intuition is it opens up all of that creative force within us and cooking becomes more freeing, at least in my experience, and definitely more creative. Right. And, you know, I love the idea. I've gone through time and I've been more like meal preppy. But for me, often what always ends up happening with the idea of pre-prescribing my meals each for the, you know, at the beginning of the week of that, I go off the schedule, which is mm-hmm. fine. Like, I mean, that's what, for me, it's all about being intuitive, having the ingredients. So, like, maybe I'll saute some kale. I'll keep some of the kale fresh. I'll do some grilled chicken. I'm actually teaching a class on Saturday to teach people how you can merge the best aspects of meal prepping with intuitive eating. Oh, brilliant. So that yeah. you don't feel like you have to eat the same thing yeah. every single day. Yeah. So you buy things that are easily able to be interchanged Mm -hmm. with different meals. So what I'll do is when I'll buy a big pack of ground turkey and I'll make some of it into burgers, freeze them. I'll make some of it into meatballs, freeze them. And then I'll cook the rest of it loose so that then I can have it on a sandwich or I can have it in a soup or I can do a taco one night with it. So then that way you're being efficient in the time that you have to cook, but not pre-prescribing everything so that there's some flexibility. So I would say intuitive, flexible, and adaptable is Mm. my style of cooking. I love that. And I think you're so right because I need a certain amount of planning. If I have no plan, then it's too overwhelming and I just am aimless. So I need a certain amount of planning and it's in within that planning that I can find freedom and that's where I can find some creativity as well. But I love that idea of using meal planning as a way to build these roadblocks to almost allow for more creativity because then the meatballs are in the freezer on those nights when you need a jump start, and the meatballs will give you the jump yes. start to create something delicious. Yeah, and just to jump back into that really quick, I didn't have the fortitude to go to the store for one can of beans. Yeah. So I was grateful to my community mm. that I could say, hey, can I have a can of beans from your pantry? Because that'll yeah. save me the energy because I feel like if I had driven to the store, walked into the store, I would have probably picked up the half of stuff I didn't need. And then by the time I got home, 
had no energy to actually cook the chili. Yeah. So then tapping into your community and having those connections so that you may be missing one thing. Yeah. Do I need to go all the way to the store for one thing? Well, community, I love that you brought up that word. That is not a word I've talked about on this podcast, but I know you. And to me, you epitomize community within your blog, within 540 West Main and the work you do. And I think we often forget how important community is when it comes to feeding ourselves. And we're talking logistically right now, you know, when we're short on an ingredients, but also and from that emotional place and from that spiritual place, how important community can be in nourishing ourselves. Right. Absolutely. I want to come back to your book because you are in deep production on the new book. Can you tell us what is this book? So exciting. Yeah. So my second cookbook, Just Diverge, 40 Step-by-Step Gluten-Free Dessert Recipes. It almost feels like my first book because I feel like I don't want to disparage my first cookbook, but it was a much smaller mm-hmm. production. And this time I'm working with a publisher and a printing press, and it's a huge, it's almost like my first book. And it's really almost like a celebration of the 10-year anniversary of the Gluten-Free Chef blog, mm. which I said, you know, started in 2012. And so that would have been December of 2022. And initially, again, it was supposed to be this big book of baking, like all of these different baking recipes. And as I was writing the book and editing and like curating the recipe that I wanted to include, I kept finding that I was having more dessert recipes Mm. than anything else. And I thought, well, because I don't feel like I'm, I just kept gravitating towards desserts. And in the spirit of being adaptable, I thought, let me just let go of this pre-prescribed idea that I have of this book. And let me go with the flow of what the spirit is moving. Mm. And I thought, one day I was reading, I will remember looking at them and I thought, I just, there's just, just desserts. <laughs> and I just thought, that's the name, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the name, that's the name. <laughs> so it's a collection of 40 dessert recipes. It's available for pre-order now. And you can see all of that on all my socials. And I like to say that the recipes are the classic recipes that most people miss when you go gluten-free or maybe mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, you've been gluten-free and you just want to try, you know, so a new version of the classic chocolate chip cookie. There's so many great recipes in the world of chocolate chip cookies. But what's really special about this book, Nikki, is that I am giving people a step-by-step visual guide for every recipe. Wow. So instead of just the instructions, and then this beautiful final photo, you get the instructions like visually laid out for you. So like you can see, okay, here is how it looks when you combine the flour and the wet ingredients. Here is how the batter looks in the third step, the fourth step, the fifth step. So because of that, it's of course, increasing my production I'm going to say, as somebody who does this, I know how much more work that is. And that is a lot more work, (laughs) but so helpful. So helpful. So helpful because I really wanted this book to be and include the facets of what I would love most from all the cookbooks that I've collected over the years, where sometimes you're like, man, I wish I could see how it's supposed to look in step five. Yeah, totally. Because I don't feel like mine is right. 
Mm-hmm. But there's no way to know, you yeah. know. So because of that, there's less recipes in the whole collection because I'm doing that step-by-step guide. But I really tried to make this book a beginner's guide for people who are neither gluten-free or someone who's not gluten-free at all but wants to take the space and make a cake for someone who is gluten-free. Yeah. But it's also for people who maybe have been gluten-free for 10 years, 20 years. And yeah. Just want to support my work or just have a different collection of gluten-free dessert recipes that they don't currently have. And I think there's something for everyone, no matter what your skill level is. And hopefully with the step-by-step guide, people of all skill levels benefit from a step-by-step. It empowers everybody. Now, when does this book come out? So it comes out April 28th Ooh, of this year. It's coming up. So very soon. And it's currently available for pre-order exclusively through a local woman, Latino-owned bookstore called Hippo Campbell Children's Books. I love it. In Rochester, New York. So if you Google or, or go to their website, HippoCampbellChildrensBooks.com. Um, Hippo with one P. <laughs> I will include a link in the show notes (laughs) so people can hop down and pre-order your book. Now, before we will wrap up, I have one more question for you, which is another question I ask all my guests. But first, I just want to say thank you. This has been such an inspiring conversation. And I feel like people listening are going to feel so empowered. But my last question is just fun. And it is if it's your last meal on earth right now, I'm going to hand you a plate. What would it be? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is probably the biggest question of our time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Probably like some type of a Thai noodle. Ooh. Like flat rice noodles. Yes. Spicy with, you know, veggies, broccoli, onions, peppers, and some type of like a sauteed or crispy tofu with it. What kind of sauce? What, what is the sauce on this? What's holding it all together? Um, just like some type of like a soy sauce base. Mm-hmm. Blue of course, mm-hmm. soy sauce mm-hmm. with a little sweet, a little spicy. So there's some salt, there's some acidity in it, maybe a little lemon juice, lime. I really love Thai food and I love it because it, it naturally lends itself so well to gluten-free and also just like fresh veggies and yeah. it's so simple to throw together yeah so some kind of a rice noodle i think would be what i will you know, i love that sure. that sounds so delicious well thank you again where can people find you on social if they're looking for you so i'm on all socials at the gluten-free chef blog the gluten-free chef blog.com and i'm on twitter instagram and facebook wonderful calvin thank you so much I look forward to the next time we speak. And this time, let's not let so many years go by. Yes. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore. And as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.